All right, we're going to continue in Nehemiah. For those who have not been here, if it's your first time or you weren't here during the series, just a little recap of where we've been. Nehemiah was where? He was in exile from Jerusalem. And then what happened? He saw that he got word that what was down. Let's see those who were here. The wall was broken down. It was on fire. It was broken down. And we all know that we build walls to protect ourselves. Well, in those days, it was even bigger because they would build walls to protect the city. And another wall that comes to mind would be the wall of what? Jericho. You know, so we know that walls are there to protect. We looked at it and we, and we saw that God had given Nehemiah this task to go rebuild the wall. But what happened last time we were here? He had what? Opposition. People came against him. People said, you know what? You can't build this wall. I'm going to do whatever I can to stop you. So what did Nehemiah do? He had a plan. First of all, he prayed to God. And this is what he ended up doing. He said, half of us will work at a time. And the other half will what? Protect. Have the, the, the swords or whatever in hand ready to, if somebody comes, we're going to do what we can to hurt them and to kill them and to stop them from coming against us. And you know, I think that's very practical that we didn't look at last week, because I, two weeks ago, because I think that we need to recognize that every person had a task. And it's just like the church. Us as believers of Christ, we are like that. We all have a task and we need to take it out. We need to do what we're supposed to do. If we don't, then we're failing. If we don't, the church isn't what it is. Because all we hear is negative stuff about church or church people. But we need to recognize that the church should function in a way that when people do or whatever happens, when we do our work for the Lord, we should get 100%. And tonight we want to look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Before we looked there, we, we went from Nehemiah chapter 4, you know, just to, we went from Nehemiah 4 and then we skipped chapter 5, but just a little thing to tell you what going on in chapter 5. The people started to oppress the poor. They, they tried to do whatever they can to cause harm to them, trying to do what, whatever it was, the same people that were opposing Nehemiah building the wall. So of course, Nehemiah himself took the task on, and he was generous. And if you just want to read the last part, we don't have this verse, but the last part of chapter 5, it says this. Moreover, from that time I, that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Anorexus, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. So this is, Nehemiah here is given a food allowance. He's given a, a, a stipend, in a sense, a salary for the work that he is doing. But he says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take that because I'd rather give it to the poor, those who are being oppressed. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took them for their daily ration of 40 shekels of silver. Even his servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and my servants were gathered there for the work. So here it is, Nehemiah was given land, given all these different things, but he said, you know what, I don't want that. Because I'm no better than those you are pressing. Can you imagine that for a second? A king saying, I don't want what you give me? That doesn't sound right, right? Because what would a king want to do? Take everything for himself, right? If you think of today's society, if you think of government officials today, what do we always say to government officials? We say they hand a cookie jar. We say they want whatever they get their hands on, they can take whatever they want, and we, that's, how we, that's how we look at government officials here. Nehemiah says, no, I don't want any special treatment. I don't want anything special. 
And it says in um, verse 70, Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, beside those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that was prepared my, at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. And every ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, that I have done this for this people. Again, Nehemiah says, look, this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to continue to do it. So we see, as we look at that, as we see the poor being oppressed, Nehemiah steps into the plate and says, you know what? I don't want this extra treatment. So tonight, we want to look at this. Opposition never is over with Christ. Opposition never is over. Last week we looked at opposition. People were coming against them when they tried to build a wall. And tonight the opposition, opposition continues. When we have a relationship with Christ, life doesn't get any easier. God never promised us an easy life as a Christian. As well as we will see tonight, Nehemiah still faces opposition after the wall is done. We will see tonight that even though the task was finished, even though everything was done, opposition still came. And just like in our Christian life, our Christian walk, opposition will always come. The main point tonight is opposition will continue even when the work is done. Even when you think it's over, opposition still is going to come. And tonight we want to look at that as we, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 6. And we're going to look at it like this. Now, Symbolic and Tobiah and Gesem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall. And there was no breach left, and although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Symbolic and Gesem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet at the Hecatherum in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. Here it is. These guys hear that the, the, the wall is almost done. All he has to do is put the wall on. What did he say? Hey, why don't you come out here, buddy? You know, come over here. Let's talk. Let's have a little talk about it. But he knew that what they want to do. They want to hurt him. They want to do harm to him. You ever seen that when you're trying to stand up for Christ and, and people want to hurt you? They want to start rumors about you. They want to say things about you. You ever been there? You ever had that happen to you? Anyone in this room ever had that happen to you? Alright, I hope so. Because let me tell you something. If everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. If everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. Everybody shouldn't like you. Because you know what? The world does not love Christ. And we are His representation, so the world will not love us. This is not our home. This is not where we're comfortable. And Nehemiah here understands, look, they want to hurt me. They want to do harm to me. And it continued, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the, stop, the work stop while I leave it and come to you? Verse 4. And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered in the same manner. Here it is. They didn't give up. They didn't say, all right, we give up. Nehemiah, you know, hopefully, you know, that's it. That's done with. No. They kept on asking four times. Four times. You ever had someone actually do something four times? And you still didn't do it? Anyone ever been there? What would happen at home if you were asked to do something four times and you didn't do it? You know, you would get your feeding, you get your, you know, you'd be in trouble. You know, you would not probably live to see, now you would live, because your parent wouldn't kill you, but, you know, it would be a tough time. Um, you know, when you, when you, when you, um, some point in your life, about 20 years down the road for you guys when you got married. I mean, 
20 years down the road, right? You know, they always say that husbands... Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, they always say husbands... Listen, if you ask wives, they will say husbands have selective hearing. Or they just... You know, my wife will tell you I tune, you, I tune her out. Like when I hear her voice... You know, like how you ever watch a TV program and you're, na, 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 you know, like that's, wah, 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 you know, like, you know, you always hear, like, you know, it's like, you know, that's what my wife would tell you. That's probably how it is when she talks to me. She thinks I ignore her sometimes. But they always say that husbands have selective hearing. They hear what they want to hear and they disregard the things that they, they disregard the thing they don't want to hear, but they regard the things they do want to hear. So, you know, here it is. Nehemiah has been told, look, Come, let's talk four times. And he ignores it. Says, I, you know, I'm all right. I'm, I'm working hard. I'm doing what I got to do. You know, please leave me alone. All right. In the same way, Sambala for the fifth time sent a servant to me with an open letter in his hand. So again, four plus one equals five. The fifth time has come. Can you imagine that for a second? Someone pesterizing you like that. Please come see me. Please come see me. You know, I don't know if you are, um, how many of you ever have this person that calls you on the phone and you just don't really like to talk to them? You're like trying to really ignore them. You don't want nothing to do with them. You like wish they would just stop calling. Um, you know, you, you just have a, you know, you're like, ah oh, man, they call again? I mean, I remember being, being your age just about a couple years ago. You know, your age a couple years ago. And I remember like, I can't remember who it was, but it was this person who would call my house, right? For me. And I would just like tell mommy, mommy, just call me, please. Call me so I could go do something. So I get him off the phone. You know, you take it to trash or something. Let me do something. You know, it was a lie, but you know, it was just to get off the phone. But here it is again. We see in this story for the fifth time. He's coming again saying, look, I want you to come here. Nehemiah says, I'm not coming. Again, in verse 6 it says this. And then it was written, if reported among nations, the Gesem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Verse 7. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, and let us take counsel together. So here it is. They're trying to make up this whole story. Doesn't this sound very familiar to you? What does Satan say to Eve in the garden? You want to be like God, right? God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because you want to, he thinks you're going to be like him. Well, here's not the same exact thing. But he says, look, I'm going to make up a story for you. The story is this. You build this world because you want to be the king. You want to be in charge. You want to be the head person. This is what, what is this? This is a story he's making up. This is what you want to be. Now, knowing Nehemiah and seeing what he's done in the previous chapters, do you think that's what Nehemiah is doing this for? To be the king? What is Nehemiah doing this for? Because of what? Because he wants to help his ancestors, those, the, those who are exiled. He's there to help. He doesn't really care about the high position. Of course, he just, in, verse, in chapter 5, gave away things to the poor just to be generous. So why would he want to be the king? Then I sent him to him saying, No such things as you have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Here it is. You're making up the story. You know, this is just a rumor. You're making this up. This, you know, this ain't, this, I, how many of you have ever been there and heard a story made up, like way out there? You know, it's like, uh, that had nothing to do with what I said. 
you know, it's just like, you know, you ever play the, the, the game, what they call it, telephone. If I start with him, I tell him one thing and we go all the way back to Drew in the back, the story will end up completely different in a sentence. Like, I mean, you would add things that you wouldn't even least expect. I mean, I could tell him my name is Nicholas Rogers and maybe I'll get to the back to say, I would chimbu, ta ta, ta, yeah, I don't know. It would change. The whole story would change. You know, I don't know if it changed that bad, but it would change. Here it is, that's what they're doing. They're making up a story. Verse, verse 9. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the door to the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Verse 11 said this, But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I, un- and I understood and I saw that God had not sent him. But he pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sabalat had hired him. Here it is. They want to kill him. They are planning to kill him. So guess what? Why don't you go in to where? The temple. You know, go in the temple. They're they, they ready to kill you, man. You know, they, you know, they're setting him up. Remember Tobiah and Sabalat. Oh my God. According to these things that they did. And also the prophetess. Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted me to be make afraid. Let me ask a question. Nehemiah, here it is. These people are plotting to kill him, doing all these things, making up a story. What Nehemiah says? Oh my God! You know, be with these people. According to these things that they did, also the prophet. Here it is. He's calling on God. Help them. Now let me ask a question. If somebody does harm to you and they want to harm you, are you looking to say help them? What you looking for? Hurt them. Hurt them, right? You're looking for the complete opposite. You want to try to do whatever you can, but this is not what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah is asking God to help them. He's saying, remember Tobiah and Sabalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the providence. He's saying, remember them. Remember them. You see, I think too many times, all we, want, all we care about is revenge. All we care about is getting that person back. If you do something to me, what's, what do I want to do? I want to harm you. In fact, if we look at this particular story, what would happen is this. You made a story up about me, I'm going to make an even worse story up about you. You talk about me this way, I can talk about you that way. And then what happens? Friendships are hurt, friendships are over, bam, nothing happens. It's over, you know. Revenge, you know, we like to say revenge is sweet. But revenge ain't sweet. Because you know what? When revenge happens, that's it. Because I can tell you now, when we hurt each other, especially, I would say females, because I think guys were a little different, but they are friends who could say they haven't talked for years. You know, Guys, for some reason, we could say something about each other, and then sometimes we just get over it very quickly. It's like, yeah, you're my boy still. Yeah, we finish. But it doesn't happen all the time. Because I know brothers who probably never talk and all their, you know, for years. But here it is. Nehemiah's task is almost finished. 
he's getting to the point of the wall, and this is where we get at verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. Understand this now. This is a wall that they built in 52 days. Can you imagine building a wall? And this ain't no little wall outside, you know. This is a big wall to protect a city in 52 days. How many of you ever heard of Rockefeller, the Rockefeller building? Anyone ever heard of Rockefeller building? Do you know how many people it built, it took to build that? It actually took about, it took 11 people. But you know what's sad about it? We only hear about one person. Rockefeller. That's the only person we ever hear that built it, but it was actually 11 people that built it. You see, Nehemiah and his people, this is what they're saying. We built this wall in 52 days. And Nehemiah understands it. Look, I couldn't do this on my own. This took a group effort. This took all of us to pitch in and do it. It took all of us to team up and do this. And this is the picture of what the church should be like. As the body of Christ, as what we call the church, and I'm like I said, I'm not talking about Calvary Bible Church. I'm not talking about whatever church you may attend on a regular basis. No, I'm talking about us, the body of Christ. Those who call ourselves Christian, we are one body. And if the body of Christ would come together like they did here in Nehemiah, our country would be a lot different. How many think we live in a messed up country right now? You know, we live, we live in probably right now one of the worst times I think we've ever had in the Bahamas. Because I think of our, our morals have gone. You know, we have thrown them way out the door. I mean, we don't even care no more. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, our politicians disregard the church itself. Um, you know, they just say, you know, the church, you do your job, you preach, that is govern the country. Let's do what we have to do. But you see, we as a church, as the Bible, we need to take a stand. We need to work together. We need to be like how they were in these days, where they could build a whole wall in 52 days. Even when opposition came, they still continue to work. Even when people talked about them or people tried to make up stories, they continue to work. They continue to strive on to do what God had called them to do. Verse 16 says, And when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You see, this is where it's going back to. They understood, look, they could do absolutely nothing. But who gets the glory? God himself. You notice how all the focus at one point of this story was on Nehemiah? That Nehemiah was the focus? That Nehemiah, you get any people to work? But what happens after the wall is completed? It goes to God. We're afraid of God now because we see what your God can do. This is inhuman possible for you to build this wall in 52 days. Especially with the opposition, especially when people want to come and try to kill you, especially when only half the people are working at a time. You know, we joke around when we see our government workers sometimes in the road, uh, you know, one man working, six watching. You know, we laugh at that. But guess what? This time, 
half was working, half was protecting. So that means only half the men, women, children could actually work. While the other half had to protect. You see, this is an act of God. God built this wall. But Nehemiah was willing to let God use him. Nehemiah had a lot of opposition. He could have gave up a long time ago. He could have said, you know what? I'm tired of all this opposition. I'm tired of what's going on here. But he said, no, I'm going to continue on. I'm going to continue on. Verse 17 said this, Moreover, in those days, the noble Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letter came to them. For many in Judah were bound by an oath, because he was son of the son-in-law of Shekinah, the son of Arah, and his son, Johanna, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to me, to me, to make me afraid. So we see here, the wall is finished. The wall has been done, it's completed. They've seen the act of God, they've seen all that God has done. But what does that last verse say? They send letters to make me what? Afraid. See, even though the work is done, opposition still comes. It's just like in our Christian life. When me and you take a step of faith and we say we want to be a child of God, that we want Christ to come into our life and that we want to be His children, life never gets easier. In fact, it gets harder. There's no one in this room that can honestly say, well, you know what? My life was easier as a Christian than I was when I lived in the world. Because guess what? God's Word tells us that we're going to suffer. God's Word never told us it was going to be easy. You see, too many times we let the opposition dictate what is going on. You know, it, it, in, in our bumper video, the video that we showed at the beginning, it said that Nehemiah was an underdog. That was one of the words he used. He was an underdog. And when we think of underdog, and, and for those of us who know about sports, and we think of the underdog winning a game, what usually happens? It surprises us. It's like a shock. I remember in 1995, and that's a long time ago. How many of you were born in 1995? Okay. Wow. Anyway, 1995, the Denver Nuggets. Y'all know the Kemi Mutombo? The Kemi Mutombo? No. Anyway, Mutombo, yeah, Mutombo. All right. The Kemi Mutombo played for the Denver Nuggets at that time, and they played in the Seattle Supersonics. The Seattle Supersonics was supposed to be the number one, they were the number one seed, probably the best team in the NBA at that time, because Michael Jordan, because Michael Jordan wasn't in the NBA at that time, you know. But anyway, Seattle Supersonics were the number one seed. They play game one and they play game two in Seattle. And this time, and this time the game, the first round was the best of five. And Seattle won both games as expected. They went back to Denver. Denver then turned around and won their two games at home. Then came game five, the pivotal game five, the game that you leave it all on the floor. 
But everyone thought that there's no way the Denver Nuggets are going to win three games straight. But what happened? The Denver Nuggets won that game. And there's always, and you could go online and look at it, it's the Kemba Mutombo on the ground with a ball like this, like he just captured the whole world, like he just conquered the whole world. And he was like, you know, you know, if, if you know the Kemba Mutombo, he's a pretty um, energetic and kind of awkward guy with some of those things. But he was excited. But you know what? I think his excitement as the underdog in a basketball game was no more than what Nehemiah went through. The excitement that Nehemiah probably had when he saw that what the Lord had allowed them to do. And I want you to remember this. Nehemiah never took the credit for it. All through what we looked at, he's always pointing to God. What about me? What about you? What do we do? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, we, first of all, we got to follow God no matter what others may say. Whatever people say about us, no matter what happens in life, we got to follow God. Is that easy? No. It's easy just to sit back in a sideline and be a spectator and let everybody else do the work. Second point is this. Turn to God in the midst of opposition. When you feel opposition... The worst thing to do is to try to do it on your own. To try fighting you because you can't. And guess what? The battle isn't yours. The battle is God's. You can continue to fight all you want. You will never win that battle without God. Never. Third point. Surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you with your walk with God. Look around for a second. Look at the person next to you who you're sitting with. Look at your friends. And ask yourself this question. Is that friend going to encourage me with a closer walk to God? We laugh, right? We're laughing. But you know what? It's the hardest thing for, for us, especially us teenagers. No, you teenagers. The hardest thing in the world is this is to look at our friends and say to ourselves, you know what? This is a friend I need to get rid of. This is a friend that's not helping me with my walk with God. You know, we, we don't like to hear that. But sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to cut off some people to gain new friends that are encouraged with God. The fourth point is this. Christian life is not e- an easy life but find your hope in Christ. The Christian life is not an easy life, but find your hope in Christ. Find hope in Him. Because you know what? In this life, it's never going to get easy. You know, you think it's hard now, but as you get older, it doesn't get easier. Life doesn't get easier. You know, I know you don't want to hear it, and some people don't agree with it, when you hear your parents and people say, take advantage of your school days because your school days are the best years of your life. You don't, you don't think of that, and my wife disagrees with that. I mean, I kind of agree with it, except the best thing that ever happened in my life, besides finding Christ in my life, is to find to marry my beautiful wife. Uh, uh. So if I was in school, that wouldn't happen, right? Or if that did happen in school, it would be very young. But guess what? 
when you graduate and you get on your own and the bills start to come in life and you don't know how you're going to pay them, that's where faith comes in. It's a struggle. Yeah, faith, yeah. You know, yeah, faith. She, she raised her hands. So that's why I was, you know, yeah. We always tell Mercy that she'll always, in church, you know, wonder in church when the the preacher says, God have mercy on them. She's going to always wonder. Well, anyway. But, <laughs> but anyway, the point I'm trying to make is this. Where you at right now, you got to make decisions now that are going to affect you and affect your walk with Christ. Most of you in this room are between the ages of what? 14 and 16? Most of you... Alright. So that means, listen, when we start this series, we said that God had you in that place for a reason. You are still wherever you are, however old you are, in the right place where God has you. You got to use that for your for His glory. Nehemiah did. Even when opposition came, he allowed Christ to work in him. Will you? Will you allow Him to work in you? Even when others talk about you, talk behind your back, make up stories about you. Where will you turn? Will you turn to try to fight them? I turn to God and try to find hope in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for tonight. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Father, we thank You for just this real-life story of Nehemiah and seeing a, someone of faith, Father, to understand just what he went through for Your glory. Father, we thank You for just how much You love us, that You would send Your Son to die for us, so that we would have a relationship with You. And I pray that You would just continue to be with us and pray that You would be with us as we go in our small groups now, that we would honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.